Brother Gary, and uh, thankful and look forward to that day, amen. It's going to be a blessing to see him as he is. Well, let's take our Bibles here this morning and go to Ecclesiastes chapter number 5. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes in chapter number 5, we'll get back on uh, track and back on pace. We are through the holidays, amen, and uh, thankful for that. always enjoy uh, being in and getting through series. And uh, speaking of series, um, I haven't really mentioned uh, anything about this, uh, just with circumstances in our life, uh, with moving and things. It's just been a little hectic over the last few weeks, uh, but we are going to be uh, starting a new series tonight, and uh, we're starting a new series. Uh, it's going to be entitled this, Why I'm a Baptist, and so we're talking about Baptist distinctives, and uh, I'll say this, if it's... Uh, I don't mean this to sound prideful, but if it comes across that way, I, I'm not going to apologize about it. But if it's Baptist, it's Bible, which means if it's Bible, it's Baptist. We just say this, uh, we're not interested in taking Baptist off the sign or off our literature or anything else because it identifies us that we believe this book. Amen. Baptists have been known for that throughout their history. And that is something, you say this in a right way, and no pride's wrong, but I'm proud of that heritage, and I'm thankful that we're not just Baptist in name, but we want to be Baptist in practice, because to be Baptist in practice means we're Bible in practice. This is our rule of faith and authority and practice and everything. And so we're going to look here tonight um, why our church is not going to be uh, removing the name Baptist anytime now or in the future, and what the Bible has to say about distinctives that make Baptists different than maybe another ilk of church. Maybe say, well, what, why is a Baptist church different than a Methodist church or different than uh, this church or that church or a Bible church? Well, we'll take a look at that, what uh, Baptist distinctives are, what makes us distinct from other groups, and then look at biblically based what that is. And so we're going to do that for about eight or nine weeks uh, be taking a look at that, and that's going to start tonight. So I hope you'll plan on being here this evening as we start that series. But we are in sermon number nine uh, in our series here in Ecclesiastes. And so if you found your place there in Ecclesiastes 5, and you're able to, let's stand to honor the reading of God's Word, just to show deference and respect there. Okay, Ecclesiastes chapter number 5, we're going to read from verse 1 down through verse number 7 uh, here this morning. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes chapter number 5, and start reading there in verse number 1. It says, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. It, I know we hadn't given an explanation of what the sacrifice of fools are and everything. This is so powerful, that verse. Okay, anyway, I'm going to say the preaching for a minute. Verse number two. <clears throat> be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. When thou vowest a vow unto God... Defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, 
Neither say thou before the angels that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? Verse 7 is kind of a summary of this whole passage. It's a key verse here. It says, For in the multitude of dreams and many words there are also diverse vanities, but fear thou God. So let's take a look here this morning at this, the vanity of much speaking. <clears throat> the vanity of much speaking. May God bless you as you could be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of the scriptures uh, here this morning. <clears throat> I don't know exactly at what stage it takes place in life, but all of us likely went through it and have had children that have gone through it. And we're entering that phase where we're starting to go through it with some of our children. Where maturity begins to take place, puberty happens, you know, we start entering the teen years, and there's a transition from child to adult. Now, those formative years, the teen years, are full of a lot of um, new things, a lot of challenges, development, and there is a transition that happens there from that of a dependent child to an independent adult, and sometimes that transition can be a little bumpy. Unfortunately, during that time period, some teenagers lose their minds. They just get lost somewhere. And it comes out in things like this, where a teenager will sass or degrade or talk down to their parents. (laughs) If that happened in my house when I was growing up, my parents would say something along this line, you need to pray up, you're about to meet Jesus, right? Yeah. (laughs) I'm thankful my parents uh, didn't allow me to speak that way to them. And and with our kids now, when there's disrespectful tone or there's a posture that's taken with their words, we have to quickly remind them because we love them, you are still a child and you are called to obey your parents and to honor your parents And those are biblical directives, not our rules, God's rules. And we want to help you abide by God's rules. And so bend over, right? You're about to get a spanking. So we help them along those lines. I don't know why it is, but eventually there usually comes something out when there's a teenager who begins to uh, talk down to or sass or just be ugly with their words towards their parents there's probably a posture from the parents that starts to look like this. Watch your tone. You need to remember who you're talking to. Your parents ever say something like that to you? Or maybe you've said that to your kids or your grandkids. You've said something along the lines. Whoa, hey, let's watch the tone there. Let's watch what we're saying. You need to remember who you're talking to here. That's not okay. Now, if we have an expectation of a parental or whatever that might be, authority figure of watching our tone because of the God-given authority that's there, how much more should we say this, watch our tone 
when we come before the presence of a God Almighty, the Lord. Now, I am so thankful we have New Testament directives that tell us that we can go before the Lord and we can say phrases like this, Abba. Abba is just like a, a Hebrew word that means Papa or Daddy. It's like a very affectionate term that would, you would use to describe your father. I'm thankful we have uh, illustrations and, and, and talking points in the New Testament where it helps us understand this, that we can come boldly before the throne room of grace and we can find help in our time of need and we can make our petitions known and, and we have an advocate with the Father and, and we have a mediator with Jesus Christ. Listen, prayer is a wonderful thing and I'm so thankful for it. Amen. I'm thankful the line's always open so that we can do what 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, to pray without ceasing. I am so grateful that we can go before him and we can be vulnerable and we can say things that sometimes we don't even fully know what we're trying to say, but through our mutterings, God knows what we're saying and God understands and makes sense of things that we can't even put words to that are going on in our heart and mind. But I think in our modern world and in the progressive movement of where this Christian movement has kind of gone in Western culture... We have to rein in some of that because he's not the man upstairs Amen. and he's not big daddy in heaven and he's not one that we can come to with a flippant and loose attitude. He is God Almighty Amen. and he deserves our reverence and our fear. And as we even sang this morning in that uh, hundreds of year old hymn now, holy, holy, holy is still very accurate and very true. And so I wonder if Solomon here this morning, understanding this journey under the sun, life lived in this world, for this world, and he comes to this point where he's not talking about a point of vanity, but he does stop and begin to ponder this, the vanity of a fool who enters into a worship service and does the act of a fool opening his mouth without considering who he's talking to and who he's in the presence of. And how vain that is. I want to encourage us here this morning as a church in this. Be active. Be vulnerable. Be that which is one who can say, Abba, Father, in your prayer life. But don't you ever lose worship in your prayer. Because worship is the point where you can say, You're God and I'm not. You're holy and I'm only holy because you made me holy when you sent your Son and died on the cross of Calvary, and I put my faith and trust in that. You're God, I'm not. And boy, that will revolutionize your prayer life where we enter the prayer closet not with pride and presumption and with an attitude of, I deserve, give me now, but an attitude of saying, you're holy, you're perfect, you're God. What makes us do this, watch our tone when we come before the Lord. Now, in Ecclesiastes 5.1 here, he, he starts the, the whole chapter this way. He says there, this is verse number one, keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. Literally, it means this, uh, watch yourself when you step into God's house. So it's, it's kind of the idea of keep your foot is watch where you're going, circumspectly, be mindful. It's kind of like, okay, you're about to cross the threshold, so stop and go, this is God's house. All right. That's what it means to keep thy foot is to stop and to ponder. Keep in mind when coming to the house of God and the presence of God. 
Well, what does he say to keep thy foot? What are you supposed to do? On well, verse number one, he says this. Be ready to hear, not ready to speak. Be more ready to observe, account, and a ponder about God's sayings and God's words and God's doing and God's person more than you are ready to start feeling his ear with everything you want and desire. He actually says it this way, don't give the sacrifice of fools. As I said, it's such a weighty passage there in verse number one that maybe you don't even realize it when he says, keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. Well, what is the sacrifice of fools? Okay, <clears throat> sacrifice is a good thing. Okay, anytime you talk about a sacrifice in the Bible, whether it's in Leviticus, they came to bring sacrifices and offerings, or they talk about sacrifice in the New Testament, or called to be a living sacrifice. Sacrifices are spoken of very positively and very good. But you can study chapters and books in the Bible like Malachi, <coughs> where the prophet Malachi comes to the children of Israel and he says this, I would rather somebody have the guts to go put a lock on the door at the temple and not allow sacrifices to take place than for y'all to bring broken, maimed, halt, and blind sacrifices and think God's okay with that. What was happening in Malachi? What happened in Malachi is they were going through the procedures of religious activity, but they weren't thinking about who they were worshiping. So it became acceptable for them to bring God all their leftovers because they were doing what they were supposed to do, but they forgot who they were doing it for. Well, what is that? That is the sacrifice of fools. Now, again, <clears throat> I don't want to come where you're at in your pew today, but I wonder how many people showed up this morning at Bible Baptist Church out of habit, just because it was a habitual thing for you, and you came and you sat in your pew, and you're doing the religious activity of church. You know when to stand, you know when to sit, you know the, songs of the, wor or the words of the song, the songs of the word, the words of the song. You know what I mean. You, you know all those things, the religious activity, but I wonder if that sacrifice, and listen, sacrifice is good. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. We always said sacrifice is a good thing. But I wonder if it's a sacrifice of fools. It's done because it's just a habit. It's done just because it's the ritual. It's done because it's just what we do. And you do that which is to be done, but you're absent of the thought of the person that it's being done for. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, he sang the words. Did you think about the person? I mean, worship is active. It's not passive. If we're to truly come to a worship service and actually say we had a worship service, then God must uh, capture our attention. He must be in the forefront of our mind. I think oftentimes our worship services fall flat. Our church services are dead. There's no energy in it because there's a lack of preparation before we show up at church. So we show up at church and we're here and we're busy about visiting and things, which is great. Fellowship is wonderful. We come into the church service and we sing the songs and we're doing religious activity. We're doing religious sacrifice. It's a good thing to do. But then we forget about the very person who we're doing it for. And if we are not careful, what can happen is we start to say this. Man, them old songs are dead. There's no energy. There's no life there anymore. Why don't you go to church anymore? It just feels like you just kind of go up there and we listen to a guy yell at us for 30 minutes if we're lucky. 40 if we're unlucky, you know. And we just, just go and we do our thing and we go home. Listen, 
church can become rather mundane and rather dry and the songs can lose the depth and the energy that's behind them. And that's why a lot of churches now are manufacturing that. Come on now, why? Why are we manufacturing? We're dropping the lights and putting uh, uh, people on the platform that put on a performance and the music becomes more energized. Why? Because people want to feel something. They want to feel an experience. And what's happened is, is it's not that we need to change the method or we need to change all the procedures that we're doing. What happens is we need to get our attention back on who God is. Man, there's nothing more energizing than some of the amazing songs that have been written years and years ago. Listen, I'm not against something new. I love some new hymns that are being written, new songs that are out. There's nothing wrong with them. What I'm saying is, is there's nothing wrong with a lot of the old stuff that's there also. The reason it's become dead is because you're going through the motions of singing it and not singing it to someone. It's become religious activity. And so here's what Solomon is basically saying. We show up at the house of God and we're quick to fill the air with our words and we're quick to offer up the sacrifices of fools. And he says, you need to stop before you come into the threshold of that place and ponder for just a moment. We're about to do business with God. We're about to come into the presence of an almighty God. We're about to sing about an almighty God. We're about to hear the words of an almighty God opened in the scriptures. And he's saying we need to stop at the threshold and we need to ponder and keep our feet and say, there's something amazing that happens in this place. Amen. That's true of a church service. That's true of your private prayer closet. And I think we've become flippant in our approach to God because we've gone through the religious motion without experiencing the person that we're singing about. Well, what is the result of that? Look at into verse number one, what Solomon has to say about this. He says, For they consider not that they do evil. This kind of goes back to the very point that Malachi makes in his book, which is this. It would be better to not do it than to do it half-heartedly and just going through the motions. God wants our full devotion God doesn't care about lukewarmness. He says you either get cold or you get hot. Either get out or get in. One foot on either side of it's not working anymore here. Listen, I believe God here this morning may be reaching down and rattling right in your pew in, in the first of this year and saying this, get all in. Don't just sing the song, sing to a person. Don't just come to a, a worship service. Actually worship at that worship service. Be proactive about that. Be prepared even before you arrive. What does that look like? Well, wake up on Sunday morning and actually sing some songs and pray and read the scriptures before you ever get here. He said, but then we're going to sit through like three services on Sunday. Yeah, have a fourth one, the one private one of your own before you ever get here. Man, prepare your heart and be ready to do business if, uh, before the Lord. Be cautious of the words that we use because we are talking to a holy God. It's important to recognize in verse number two there, he says this, Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. He's basically saying this, be careful the words you use. Be mindful of what's coming out of your mouth. Well, why? Well, the end of verse number two says this, For God is in heaven, and thou art, uh, excuse me, and thou upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. So he's basically saying this, he said, we need to remember this, God is holy. You say, I know you've said that several times. We even sang a song about it this morning. What's, what's the big deal? 
Well, remember what the definition of the word holy is. Holy literally means this, set apart, other than. To be holy means God is something that we are not. Okay, so he is set apart. He is other than. He is God. We aren't. So when Solomon says, remember this when you are going to speak, that he's God in heaven and you are upon the earth. And it's this reminder that God in heaven is holy and perfect and everlasting and transcendent and high and exalted. He's the omni-God. He is everything that God is that we are not. And so Solomon is basically saying this, be mindful of the words that you use. When you open your mouth, remember who you're talking to. Kind of like our parents would remind us. Remember, careful. Watch yourself. Who are you talking to? Being mindful about who God is. So he then goes on after he cautions us about the words that we're using, about not being hasty with our words, rash and quick. He gives us two illustrations that then talk about the uh, fallacy of being hasty or quick with our words. So he talks about, in verse number seven, the dreams in the multitude of dreams and many words that are also diverse vanities. So when he talks about this idea of dreams, it's kind of the idea that there are so many things that happen within a day, a day that is overwhelmed and exhausting and it's just full of all these events, that sometimes there can be multitude of dreams. You ever have a really weird dream? And it seems like there's a bunch of stuff that goes in the dream that shouldn't be in the dream, and it's all stuff from your day. And it's crazy. And you're like, why was the rabbit flying the plane? I don't understand why the rabbit was flying the plane. And it's just stuff from your day that kind of meshes together, and it does, it's like, wow, that was weird. You wake up and go, that was a weird dream. And then you start to think, oh, that was this part of this day, and that was this part of the day. Well, Solomon is basically saying this. What happens when we're hasty with our words is we're taking all these jumbled up pieces, almost like dreams, and it's being culminated together and it just looks like a mess. It's just like this weird disjointed dream, incoherent and having too many pursuits of plot points that make no sense. He then talks about a fool is known by his voice, another illustration that he uses there. There is so much being said that nothing's being said at all. This is the way the fool begins to speak. People start to catch on to this and they start to avoid getting into a conversation with the fool who makes unkeepable promises, doesn't think before they speak, and just rattles on and on and on about nothing. So he uses those illustrations to say, if you don't like talking to somebody that speaks like a fool, and if you've experienced one of these dreams that you wake up and you go, what was that? He says, in the same way, God doesn't want you to come before him with these hasty words, rattling off and speaking as if he is not God. He then gives us some common sense, some things to use caution. He mainly talks about this idea of vows. He actually uses about three verses to deal with this. So what is a vow? A vow is a promise. A vow that's made before God is saying, God, I will do this. God, I will not do this. In the New Testament, you'll remember uh, they were saying, Jesus said, don't swear by heaven or earth or Jerusalem is his footstool. He said, let your yes be, yeah, and let your no be, no, right? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Well, what are, what are, what are these vows? 
Vows are not necessarily wrong, but I'll say this. Use caution when making them. D don't be uh, rash or quick in saying these vows. It, it amazes me how many people, God, if you get me out of this, I'll do this. <laughs> Come to the altar. God, I promise for the rest of my life I'm going to. God, I will never do this again. Be careful in making those vows. He says there, it'd be better if you didn't make the vow. And that you make the vow and you don't come good on it. If you're going to make a promise, pay up. If it's due on the first, pay it on the first. Right? And this is the, the, the business that's being done with Solomon here in this statement. He's just saying this. If you're going to make a vow, come good on that vow. Follow through with that vow. Do what you've said you're going to do. But the concern here is not so much with keeping vows as much as it is this, being hasty in making them. He's saying instead, stop, ponder, consider who you're talking to here. It's not like I'm talking to Kyle Hastings here and saying, hey, I'm going to be at your house at 2 o'clock this Saturday. And I'm going to help you do that thing. And then I fizzle out on it. After a while, what does Kyle start to think? That dude never keeps his word. Low down, sorry, scoundrel. He said he was going to, and he didn't. Or I call him up, hey, man, something came up. And there is stuff that comes up. But after the third or fourth time of that happening, I know I said I was going to help this time. This time, this time I was going to do it. But, sorry, after a while, what happens? The vows start to mean nothing. Promises mean nothing. Now, if I would be very slow to make promises like that to my children or to a church member or to somebody else, should I be much more careful about talking to God about that? Remember, Solomon's whole point in this is, consider who you're talking to. Remember who God is. He's not just the man upstairs. He's not just your buddy. He is a holy, perfect God. So be mindful and be thoughtful because you don't want to wind up like this. Oopsie, I was just kidding. That was a mistake. He says that in verse number 6. That you don't want to go before the angels and be like, oh, sorry. I didn't really mean that. It was an accident. He says that, that doesn't work. Why? Be careful and thoughtful and diligent about your words. Now listen, let me kind of bring this rubber to meet, meet the road for us as a church and what this begins to look like. You remember Solomon's on this journey of vanity. He's on this journey going from one point to the other to the other of experiencing these things in life just for this life, apart from God. And in the midst of this journey under the sun, this journey in a life apart from God, full of vanity and emptiness and vexation, trying, 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 but never accomplishing, he comes to here in chapter number five, and he starts to consider the height and majesty and holiness of God. And in that, he starts to realize how foolish and flippant we can be with our words as we live life in this lane under the sun. So Solomon calls us once again to leave a world of vanity and come to a life of purpose and meaning. Well, what does that look like in regard to our words? Well, it simply looks like this. Ponder and consider who you're speaking to when you go before God. In a worship service, in a church service, in your private prayer life, you consider who it is that you are going before. So I, don't, I don't really know how to do that. that. That can be a tall order. I understand that. So what, what does that look like? There's a reason why in Jesus, in his prayers, you have Jesus' uh, example prayer. Remember the disciples? Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, after this manner, pray ye therefore. 
Our Father, which art in heaven, what does he say? Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Now, there's a couple things that happen there before he ever gets to give us this day our daily bread and ever ask for anything. The first thing he does is what? Worship. Our Father, you're holy. You're perfect. You're majestic. There are, I believe, three ways that you can worship God. You can focus on his names. God's got a lot of awesome and wonderful names. You can focus on his attributes. Our God has wonderful attributes. He is the only one who is all places present, which means this. There's nowhere you can go that God isn't there. That's a wonderful attribute of our God. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. Those are attributes of our God. And then accomplishments. There are some things that our God has done that are just mind-boggling. He flooded this entire earth. He created this entire earth. You ever see a weird animal and go, what's up with that? God made it. That's cool stuff. Study cells, study stars. You start to realize this. God created all those things in his creation and his accomplishments. Listen, I believe there's three areas. Names, uh, attributes, and accomplishments. You can worship God. And in that, you're not thinking about yourself at all. Humility has a lot less to do with thinking little of yourself. It has a lot more to not thinking about yourself at all. It's a period of time in private time before the Lord. I think this is so important to start your prayer time. You spend time with the Lord this way. That you go before Him and you're not asking for anything. You're not pursuing anything. You're not looking for anything. You're coming before God and you're simply doing this. Recognizing who He is. You say it this way. It's that moment in your prayer life. It's that moment in a church service where you stop at the door and you say this. I'm going to consider who God is. He's in heaven. And I'm on earth. He is holy, holy, holy. He holds the span of the universe in his hands. This earth is his footstool. He is transcendent, high and above everything. He is way above anything I could ever be or think. He's God. And I'm not. Well, what happens after that? The second part of the prayer is this. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. What is that? Surrender. God, you do what you want to do, and I'm just on board for the ride with you. That sounds a lot different than a lot of our prayers, isn't it? God, I've got this agenda, and it'd be really good if you lined up with what I want to do today, okay? Come on, isn't that what oftentimes our prayer life looks like? God, I've got to be here. Can you make the weather be nice so this happens for me? God, can you hold this up so this happens for me? God, I want this. God, I need this. God, provide this. God, it'd be nice if you get on board with my program. And if that disrupts anybody else, who cares? I need mine. Now listen, it doesn't sound that selfish. We can make it sound very spiritual, can't we? Our Father, please. Yes, We can make it sound so spiritual, but really ultimately it boils from a selfish heart. We need to, it's almost like a haughty teenager coming into the house and saying, this is what I want for supper. And you better have it hot and ready by this time. How would that go over in your house? And the parents then stops and in a loving way says, you need to consider who you're talking to. And I wonder if maybe Solomon's stopping us for just a second and saying, you need to consider who you're talking to. And Jesus in his model prayer that he shows us this, that we not only need to worship, but we also need to surrender 
and say, God, whatever you have for supper and whatever time you want to provide it, I just want to be there when you deliver it up. So give me this day my daily bread. Help me to be where I need to be so that I'm on your program. God, this is your money. This is your time. This is your body. This is your life. These are your children. This is your house. This is your car. Help me to use it the way you want it to be used. Now, I'm telling you, if you start your prayer time, even if it's just two minutes with worship and surrender, it'll affect the rest of the prayer life. If our church services, if we were full of people that walked into a church service that had worshiped and surrendered, it would change a lot of things, wouldn't it? Absolutely it would. We're not coming in, well, I can't wait to see how the preacher's going to bless me today. I hope somebody says something good about what I'm wearing today. I hope they sing my favorite song today. Oh no, they sang that one. I don't like that one. When we start to make the worship service all about us, we fail to realize that we collectively as a church are actually assembling together so that we can worship Him. So maybe it would be good if we stop at the threshold and we consider who we're about to speak to. Let our words be few. Don't be hasty with your vows. It's a good thing to make sacrifice, but don't make the sacrifice of fools. Instead, keep thy step. Watch where you're going and do this. Consider that he is holy, holy, holy. I'm so thankful. I, just, I, don't, I don't ever want somebody to say, man, I'm just not going to pray then. If, you, if that's the conclusion you've come to, you have missed the point of the sermon. Don't walk away and be like, well, I'm never going to make a promise to God. I'm not going to do that. That's not what it is. It's simply saying this, before you make a commitment, before you open your mouth to God, before we enter into a worship service, simply stop and ponder about who we're worshiping, who God is. And I'm telling you, when we do that, it helps us align with His program, His will, His way, His thoughts. And when we do that, I'm going to tell you this, Solomon helps us understand, we will move from a world of vanity. You feel like church is empty and not giving you what you need. You'll move from a world of vanity to a world of fulfilled purpose and value. So Solomon here helps us understand, there's vanity in much speaking, but if we ponder who God is, there is great value to fear God and keep His commandments. But the first part of that, before keeping His commandments, is what? Fear God. And here he shows us a preview of that in chapter 5. See who God is. Holy. Worship Him. Surrender to Him. Let's all stand together as we come to a time of invitation here this morning.